Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Steve House, and I will be your host today along with Alisa Clark. Today, we are discussing longevity, balancing family life with big challenges, and tackling a huge variety of distances and successes. We have an incredible guest who needs little introduction. John Kelly is a prolific runner, data scientist, and father to four, plus a border collie. He has successfully taken on everything from Ironman World Championships, fast marathons, multi-day FKTs, 200-mile races, and last but not least, his two-time finishes of the Barkley Marathons. We could keep going, but we'll stop there for now. John, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, me too. So I actually think that we've met before where I very awkwardly introduced myself at Tour de Jant. I can't, did you first run it in 2019 or 2021? I, I ran it in, in both years. Uh, I, I've yet to have a good race that I'm happy with there yet. So headed back to hopefully get that this year. But uh, yeah, my last, uh, my last result there was a uh, bout with Rabda that, that resulted in a, a DNF 50 miles in. So Holy cow. Yeah. I didn't realize, yeah. wow. It is, I'll go on a slight tangent and then we'll get back to it. But yeah, it, I was just saying to my friend, it's just like everything at Tor is bigger. Like it's just this, it's so big. I can barely wrap my head around it. I had altitude, altitude induced bronchitis and then was having, um, basically like fainting spells at altitude, which super odd and not super safe. So yeah, I have two DNFs at Tor and it is also somewhat of my kryptonite as well. So I feel yeah, you on that. It's just, it's an absolutely beautiful course and incredible place. Uh, but you know, it's, it's important to remember no matter, how, no matter how many of these things we do, that there are always odd combinations of variables that can lead to, these, these sort of disastrous results, no matter how experienced we are. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's important to be on the lookout for those things. And I'm, I'm certainly glad I didn't try to push through that in, in my last experience at tour. Okay, so I got to come in and ask the Gumby newbie question. What, what exactly happened? I didn't catch it. Uh, so, uh, rhabdo, some, something, rhabdomyolysis, something I've, I've always kind of associated more, to be honest with people that hop in like CrossFit, cr- CrossFit. Yeah. yeah. And, and go way too hard, way too fast. And, uh, it's a condition basically where your muscles break down faster than your body can process it. And it can lead to, uh, acute kidney failure, which is quite bad news. Uh, so I was, I was able to recognize that, you know, this, this isn't normal. Like there are always those normal low points and tough spots and pains and everything else that you experience in ultras. But, uh, it, it was, it was not normal. Uh, I was, uh, not able to get any fluids down, uh, you know, puking my guts out at an aid station. My, uh, urine was quite the concerning color. And 
uh, I, I I called it at that point, and uh, the, the symptoms the next few days certainly confirmed that. But I, I stopped early enough to where I was able to, you know, essentially just drink a, a liter of, of water per hour and and get things flushed out and, and fully recover from that. But it can definitely be a a dangerous condition uh, if if you don't catch it in time and and get the care that you need. Yeah, I think that that's a great reminder. I've actually had, um, I was peeing blood during an attempt on the Penhody Trail the first time I did it. And I think that it's, I mean, not great, obviously, that it's happened, but it's great that we're bringing this up as distance runners, saying that it is a possibility in the longer events for this to happen and for us to be aware of it. Because I think that sometimes there is the mentality of, oh, it will go away or oh, I'll just keep pushing. And we have to recognize that a rhabdo is something that happens in longer distance events. And B, it's not something to mess with. It's not something that we can just say, oh, it will get better. It's fine. I'll just take a break. Um, it, it is quite dangerous if you let it continue too far. So, yeah. yeah. And, and for me, I've, you know, I've done things that have been harder, faster, hotter, longer, higher elevation, like none of those individual factors at Tour de Jean could cause that. But there's just, there's so many variables in this sport that there are always going to be unique combinations that we haven't seen before. And I think it was, you know, the the, the altitude, uh, a bit of dehydration, the uh, vert, some life stresses that I had at the time all just kind of came together into this perfect storm uh, that that gave me this, this result. Uh, so it's just, that's always one of the most been one of the most important things to me as I've gained experience in the sport to, to recognize the difference between, uh, what is discomfort and what is danger. Yeah. And I know we're totally off script, but I want to dig in on this because I find this so interesting that, you know, it's this, it's sort of, you, you have to have this non-judgmental approach to, to these things, right. To stay safe. And it's very much the same in alpinism where, you know, you may want to keep going, <laughs> you know, you may want to finish the race, you may want, but it is what it is. And you, you have to just bring a certain amount of acceptance to that and make the right decision. And then you also, as I can tell from just watching you and listening to you, you're completely comfortable with that decision. Right. And how, how, how great is that, that, you know, you can have that sort of Zen approach to it. And that's great. Yeah. It, it's definitely not a decision I, I wanted to make. I, you know, I had, uh, j- made the trip spent who know you know tons of time preparing for this uh had people there supporting me that was even you know the bigger thing for me i had crew out there that were giving up their own time to see me be successful in my race and then i had to look and say you know i'm i'm sorry uh, I, I can't go on with it and it was a it was a tough uncomfortable decision to make but afterwards you know i'm 100 percent comfortable with the fact that i made it and knowing that it was the right thing to do yeah i want to actually dig into that a little bit because i think it's something and wow we're talking to someone who literally just was the second time finisher of barkley and all we've talked about is <laughs> is the dnf but i do think that this is interesting for people um because we don't get to hear about this side of 
the events as much, but how was your mental state after tour? How did you deal with that? Because I've dealt with, so like I said, I've DNF'd um, tour twice and the backside I think is actually the most interesting part rather than the successful races. Yeah. And it's, it's something that for me, it was, it was tough because I kind of had a, a string of DNFs or results that I wasn't happy with. And, and for me, you, you know, my, my approach to ultra running or endurance events in general has, has always been to uh, swing for the fences, to, to go for the, the big challenge, to uh, reach farther than what I might think is currently possible for me and to be okay with the fact that that failure is a likely option uh well not not option but but likely result but still when you get a string of those uh in a row it it hurts and you you start to doubt yourself and you start to wonder if you know maybe you're slipping and can you get back to to where you were uh fortunately i i have since then and i think a big part of that is being able to uh, accept that outcome and to look at it rationally and, and see what I can learn from it and, and how to use that going forward rather than having the mindset of, you know, coming away from that, just uh, blindly trying to train harder and do more and, and keep going and uh, risk a, a worse injury or, or burnout at, at that point. Yeah. How do you think about that? And John, like you said, you like to swing for the fences. And if I come out as an alpinist, you know, I would, I liked to think for my, uh, for example, Himalayan trips that I was aiming for a success rate of between 30 and 40%. Um, you know, do you, do you think, and so if that, if I was almost expecting, a, you know, almost 60% of the time to not do what I set out to do. Do you think you're a data scientist? I mean, you're obviously clearly a, a logical person. You think this way, you think analytically. Do you have a, when you go for these big things, you think that, I mean, obviously not that many people have completed Barclays. Like you got to just realize like, hey, there's only a certain amount of chance that this is all going to come together for me today. It yeah, I've noticed uh, the past few years that, in general, I I tend to attempt about three of these really big things per year, uh, whether it's Barkley or a multi-day FKT or something like Tor, um, and I I. I'm usually successful in, in about one out of those three. So that, that fits right along where you are there. It's a great year if I'm successful in, in two out of the three. And I think everyone's threshold is different in terms of what can keep them motivated and, and keep moving forward. To me, there's sort of this Goldilocks zone of difficulty where it's, it's hard enough to uh, re remain interesting to you uh, to, to not be boring, but it's it's not so hard that you get frustrated and, and, and quit. So for me, that that's around where that, that zone is. And I think that the better metric for me, rather than looking at percent success, is looking at, at number of successes. Uh, 
And if I were to have a bunch of smaller goals and every once in a while uh, shoot for the big one, uh, I my percent success might go up, but the actual number of successes I, I had would, I, I believe, drop significantly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's actually, I think we actually have pretty similar mindsets about that as well. And also similar mindsets of the goals that we pick. I'm also kind of in that like Tortajaw, Dragon's Back type life where there is a high risk of failure and that's part of the game. And, and for me, actually my racing schedule this year, I have 200 Ks and then Dragon's Back. And part of me is itching for something bigger than that of like, yes, I know I can finish these hundred Ks. Obviously the placement is kind of the success or failure to it, which is a different kind of mental challenge than um, for me, generally it's more like myself against the just enormity of a Tour de Jean of a Moab 240. And so, but I always say like, if I get one, basically if I get one out of those three successes, like, wow, that was a great year <laughs> Two or two is even amazing um, even more because when you pick these huge challenges, you really are setting yourself up for the fact that um, there's a possibility they're not going to work. So I guess, go ahead. Well, the, the other thing to, to remember here as well is these things that we're challenging ourselves with, we've, we've chosen uh, the mountains because we love them. And the more that we're passionate about the actual experience and about the, the process itself, rather than it being this binary yes or no, I did what I set out to do the more that we can get out of them. And the, the worst case outcome uh, in general, if, if we're smart about it, is, you know, I, I fell short of my goal, but I, I got to get out and enjoy the mountains and, and learn a lot of great things from that. So, you know, that's, that's still a success. Absolutely. I, I think that that's so well put, John. And we, we started to, I, I, as you were saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I shouldn't have even brought that up because that's not actually what I was going for is to have make sure I got one success in each year, for example, because it was more that the reason we set these goals is so we have, we make sure that we spend a good chunk of our lives doing these things that we love. And that's, that's, it provides this structure. Like, you know, you would, none of us would have come up with these objectives like running around Moab for 240 miles or the tour for how many miles that is or climbing these remote unnamed unclimbed peaks because uh it's just it's just really an excuse it's really a uh yeah structure to get out there and go do out there go be out there and, and run and be in the mountains and see those sunrises and be with people that love the same things we love and that's that's really what it's all about it's great that you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess, wow, we're going really off script, but you've been, I mean, you've been successful in, uh, for, for quite a bit of time and also through a variety of different, I guess we'll say mediums. I'm thinking like triathlon to marathon to longer distance. How have you managed or what place does 
running, etc., these successes or races play as a part of your identity? And was there ever a moment where they became too encapsulating of like, oh, I'm hanging my hat on what I'm doing? Or like, how have you managed to sit this part of your life in the bigger picture? That's that's a great question. Uh, and and that, that, that could be, a, a, I think, a, a whole podcast in, in itself. I, there were definitely times early on in, in Barclay, uh, my first few attempts there, where it, it got a bit uh, obsessive and, and consuming in terms of, you know, I, I have to finish. Uh, you know, I'm scared of not finishing. Like, I, I need to get this done. And, and it was uh, overall, uh, it, the training and the preparation, I think, was uh, not the, the healthiest approach and, and was a bit of a, a negative impact on my life. Outside of that, uh, I've largely been driven by curiosity and uh, wanting to see what I'm capable of doing, wanting to see what these new and different experiences are like, getting to explore uh, beautiful, incredible places that, that I would otherwise not have a chance to see. And that has evolved into now also being uh, curiosity, but more internally, like the, the, the things that I learn about myself going out and, and taking on these challenges and, and these adventures have played a huge role in other areas of my life, whether it be my career or uh, as a father or as a husband, it, they have improved me in significant ways. And and one of those in general really is is looking back at those early Barkley attempts and uh, being cognizant of the fact that that was a bit much, my, my approach on that. And I now have a, a much healthier balance in, in terms of doing these things and my more recent attempts at Barkley and, and other big efforts uh, have, have really been uh, a, a piece of my life that that fits in well uh with the other pieces uh rather than than some uh, you know all-consuming pieces that piece that's trying to knock the other pieces off the board yeah i i feel that entirely and actually you've already answered of what role does curiosity play in your racing and training because and i guess to go further into that, because it is, I, I mean, I loved seeing the grand round. Like I said, my husband loves following your career. He was so excited. He's, he still thinks that's one of the most amazing ultra running feats that's been done. And I, I would agree. So how, how do you balance? Obviously you're very good at racing. You've done a lot of amazing races, but when you sit down to look at your calendar for the year, how do you manage the FKT, the adventure side of things with the racing side of things? It's something selfishly I'm asking that because I am trying to figure that balance out because I like both of those too. And um, I'm not sure how to navigate it. So I'd, I'd love to hear how you manage that within your calendar, within your planning, et cetera. So, so part of it is looking at, at having kind of a, a good ratio be, between the two of, of again if if i have three big things per year i, I would like for uh at least one of those to be uh, a, a big race and at least one of those to be uh, a 
an FKT or like the grand round, something I just make up because it's, uh, I'm passionate about it and it sounds fun. Uh, and you know, the, the third can, can then be a wild card, but there, I, I get a, a lot out of, out of both of those. The, the FKT type challenges are, are somewhere where I can, uh, fully uh, explore what, what I'm capable of. I can align it perfectly with, with my own passions. I can uh, control more of the variables like the start time and, and maybe a little bit the, the weather conditions that I go out in. Uh, whereas the races allow me to, to take what I've learned from those other challenges and, and see to, to get a better um, measure of my progress, uh, kind of using other people as, as the measuring stick uh, in those. And, and it's fun to compete. It's fun to share those experiences with other people. And the final piece of this really is, is just logistics, to be honest. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we mentioned fitting it into to the rest of my life and, uh, sometimes there are races that, that won't work. Uh, you know, I, I had a 50 miler that, uh, I was planning next month and just fi- found out that my daughter has a dance recital on that day. So that's all out and I'll come up with something else. Uh, I didn't get into Western States or hard rock this year. Like I was hoping I, I would. So I'll come up with something else. And, and those are those opportunities, those areas in my calendar where if there's not a big race that I'm excited about and that I get into and that fits into my schedule, then I, I just, you know, make it up and do something I love when I can do it. Yeah, it's so interesting to, to hear you talk about all of that. And, uh, I you know, one of the things, John, that I'm just wanted to observe or note that i think the audience will also hear is you know you you have this maturity around your viewpoint on these things that is that is enviable i think for many people like especially if i go back to my younger self that you know if i wanted to be good at something i was just would sort of become obsessive about it and you you mentioned this a little while ago, like with your early attempts on Barclays, where it became sort of this obsession and you said it on balance had a negative impact on your life is what I believe you said. And, you know, and then I hear you trading a dance recital for uh, a 50 miler and um, that or a 50 K and, and that is, I think a place where a lot of people want to be, but a lot of people also struggle to be. Can you, what is it, what, what allows you, what, like, what gives you that? Um, are you at a point where you always this way? Were you at a point where you're just like, okay, I've, I've, I've done enough and I've, I really understand how this all fits in my life. Um, or was that, was that always a natural, uh, balance for you? So as an engineer and a data scientist, most of what I do are constrained, optimization problems. And doing that means that I have to accept the constraints. I I can't magically have different parameters uh, that that I'm working with. I I have to take those and I have to come up with the best possible solution that I can, given the resources and limitations that I have. And so my, 
my racing and, and training is, is much the same way. Sure, there are times that I wish I could do more training volume. There are times that I wish I could do more races or different races. Um, but the constraints of my life simply don't allow that. And so it's for me, it, it's a matter of kind of making simple goals uh, and then seeing which of those are realistic given the constraints, and then after the fact, evaluating them in, in the context of, of what I actually faced and not really evaluating it in terms of the original goal. But, you know, take Hard Rock last year, for example. It's My goal was to, to try to go 24 hours, sub-24 sub hours. Uh, and, you know, I, that didn't work out. I got altitude sickness quite pretty bad and was puking at an aid station for four hours straight before dragging myself out of there and, and eventually recovering and, and working my way back up the field for a top 10 finish. Uh, that, that wasn't my original goal at all. But looking back at what I faced and the constraints that I had, uh, I'm, that's one of my proudest results that, that I was able to, to deal with those obstacles and deal with those limitations and, and come away with that. Yeah, I would second that. That's, I mean, knowing what it feels like to have altitude sickness and to still dig in and find motivation to get back in there and didn't actually get some, get some time back on that's, that's, that's an accomplishment. Congrats. You know, that's, 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 that's a, that's not so much about, and the, that's the kind of accomplishment that I find so beautiful in this kind of uh, running and racing and being the mountains is that it's, it's not about, you know, beating someone else per se. I'm sure that other people are there and you're measuring yourself um, relative to them or, or whatever. And then they, they motivate you to try a little harder, but more than anything what i'm hearing is that you know you're proud of the struggle and you fought the good fight and and that's something to truly be proud of like that's to me more proud of anyone can anyone can experience that whether they're going to hard rock to be sub 24 or sub 48 and if they come away with that kind of feeling like what you're explaining it doesn't matter if they were you know first place or last place they're going to come away with like a, a really positive impact from their experience yeah when i was young i was i was one of those overly annoyingly competitive kids that, you know i'd make a competition out of out of everything uh and you know i was i was the youngest between my brother and my two cousins that lived next to us and and so you know i was always trying to make these competitions and i was i was always getting beat because i was four and f five and six years younger th than everyone else but i was still incessant about that and my uh, I, I still have that drive but my thinking has evolved so much more into looking at, at these sorts of things as, as collective efforts that, that we're all out there uh, with the competition serving to propel each other farther forward and to our own personal limits and eventually uh, to a collective limit where we're each bumping each other up and, you know, all the way up to, to Killian at Hard Rock. It's uh, driving each other forward. And uh, I think my, my biggest kind of realization moment 
uh, on that was the back and forth that Damien Hall and I had on the Penine Way record while I was in the UK. I, I went out and um, broke a, a 30-year-old record and uh, didn't have the, the best run, but I, I, I snuck in under the wire there. And then a week later, Damien comes along and, and beats my time. And then I came back the next year and, and beat his time. And I, I beat it with something that I otherwise... If Damien hadn't have done what he did, I would not have had that goal time. I would absolutely have not run the time that I did. And if I hadn't have initially broken the record, he may not have run the time that he did. And so it's this iterative propelling each other forward. And, and Damien is, is a huge part of, of my time and, and my performance on that. And, and so... Uh, while we might be striving to beat one another, the goal of that is not actually to beat the other person. It's it's using it as motivation to reach farther ourselves, uh, wherever that might end up being, uh, whether it's ahead of or, or behind that person. Uh, you know, we we reach the goal if it's pushing us forward. Uh, I love that idea of serving the serving because that's the spirit that I feel when I've been at, you know, as an observer at Uray or Hard Rock or some of these other tour, I've been to tour and as an observer strictly, but that's the, that's the sense you get from the participants is that this, this community, it's, you know, of course it's a competition. I'm curious to hear, something something you said there i want to know more about and you know how you said you know you were you're all sort of serving the the competition by participating in it is how i heard that and then how you're you know going out for example with damien and and trading the this record and inspiring one another but at what point does what as you push yourself like what are you getting right like what that's kind of where i think where you stopped for me is you you just stopped short of saying like what it was that you're driving towards like are you driving what it, you're motivated to go and run a little faster what is good about running a little faster what is good about pushing yourself like what is what is in that kernel I would be lying if I said there wasn't a lot of satisfaction in, in reaching those goals and, and, sure. and having those fastest times and, and those achievements. Uh, but also for me, it has become where the biggest return for me and really what makes it worth the investment of my time away from family are the things that achieving those times force me to do and force me to learn about myself in terms of preparation and strategy, pushing through uh, the, the tough times in, in the races uh, or the, the FKT attempts while I'm out there. You know, how, how do I overcome those obstacles when I'm stripped down to my core and it's just uh, a matter of, of moving forward? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses when, when really nothing else matters. It's just me, my bare bones, uh, no distractions, no excuses, 
what can I do here? And and I, I take a lot away from that by uh, having this sort of what I'll call an, an artificial struggle uh, with lessons that then can apply to, to actual struggles in, in our life, whether it be with our our family or health or finances or career or, or whatever it might be. Those are the big uh, values for, for me that, that I'm, I'm taking away from it. Oh, that's beautiful. I always say that it's the opportunity every time I'm reaching for the edge of that, of what I believe my potential is. And every time I go out and do something, I'm getting a little bit closer to understanding what that means. And so every race, it's like, I I mean, every race, every opportunity you look back at and you go, I could have done this faster. I could have done that transition better. And I think that's the exciting part. And I'm sure, Steve, that you feel that with climbing mountains. We're like, oh, I could have, you know, we could have done this belay in this area. We could have been faster on this pitch. And I think that's the exciting part is striving for that. And that keeps moving further. It's not stationary. Um, And I think that that's the exciting part. And I think that's the part of all of us, I assume, share this in common in that contentment is a difficult, if not impossible thing to achieve. And we're not really trying to achieve it. But by being slightly discontent most of your life, that also allows you to do amazing things. And actually, I guess I'd be curious, I'm saying this as a we, but I shouldn't put words in your mouth. How does contentment play a role in your life? Do you feel content or is there this sense of discontentment that is a driving factor? So I have also always been a perfectionist and, and a bit stubborn. We, we can We can make that sound positive by saying that I'm determined and resilient. Um, but it's, it's really the same thing. Uh, and for me, it it is, it is a bit odd to, to love this sport where there's really no such thing as a perfect outcome. There's simply too many variables for all of them to be perfect on one outing. And so that goes back, uh, a lot to, to kind of analyzing it afterwards and like you say seeing what could i have done better and where and if i'm pretty content that uh, i i did most things well and the probability of me doing significantly better is low then i i'm i'm happy with that Uh, i i move on to something else where uh there's a much better uh, chance of, of getting uh, a good result and a new experience. You know, like, again, looking at the Penine Way, I, I did my analysis on that after the fact and, and kind of said, you know, if I had the perfect run, conditions were perfect, my training was perfect, I think I could go two hours faster. But the chances of that like of, of the conditions being perfect and absolutely nothing going wrong uh, is, is low. And, and so is it, is it worth it to me to invest 
that much of a part of my life and that much of my schedule to go back to try to seek marginal returns with a low probability of success. And for me, the the answer on that is no. There are so many other adventures out there to, to be had. There are so many more things to do. And I can get so much more out of turning my, my focus and, and attention to to something else. And that that's again where where kind of these these collective efforts and, and pushes can come back into play. You know, if Damien went out there this summer and beat my time by by four hours, I'd have to rethink my analysis. I'd have to go back and think, well, geez, how did he do that? How is that possible? Could I actually go faster than I thought I did? Uh, and you know, that, that would be an opportunity to, to rethink that. But in all honesty, if, if, if he went four hours faster than my time, I'd probably say, holy crap, <laughs> I'm good. He's, he's got it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to reflect something that I heard both of you say in different ways. And, you know, I like the way you said this, John, that, you know, you could say that stubborn and determined are different takes on the same trait as you. But what I really hear here is that, you know, this is who you are. You know, it doesn't, and we can put labels on it that you're, you know, stubborn, which might have a negative connotation or determined that might have a positive connotation. But what you're really doing is standing with both feet on the ground, firmly rooted in the reality of, of who you are and expressing that and and you're not you don't need to make like the actually it's the opposite the, the last thing you ever need to do is make an excuse for that right like that's that's i think there are so many people in the world that are not able to do that because they haven't been shown that that is possible or that that is desirable and in fact i think we'd all be much better off if people did have themselves planted firmly and did know exactly who they were and were unapologetic about it. And yeah, this, I, I may show up as stubborn sometimes. I may show up as determined sometimes, but this is me and being in these sports, whether it's FKTs or races helps me express the best version of myself. And yeah, that's and, enough. And that's like, Absolutely. And that's where I mentioned earlier that these things not only help me learn learn valuable lessons and discover my strengths, but also my weaknesses. And for you know, example, from ultra running, I have a very strong awareness of the fact that I tend to allow small problems to just kind of slowly and steadily grow until they become big things that I can no longer ignore. And so that's that's something uh, that I I'm aware of my tendency to do that, and and because of that, I can try to address that and and prevent that as as an issue. But it it's important when reflecting on on any of these things, uh, you know, looking as far as that contentment goes. Uh, I look at where I've I've come from. And, you know, starting off, getting back into running, I, I thought maybe, maybe if I train and, and if, if I do well enough, I can qualify for the Boston Marathon. 
And I've since, you know, blown that goal out of the water and shot way past it. And the things I'm doing, like I, I would have told you, you were crazy, like just absolutely nuts. There, I will not attempt that. If I do attempt it, I, I might die. I'm not going to succeed. And so having that context again of we're all everyone has their their limits in every area but we're all capable of so much more than than we imagine it's our potential is is over a horizon that we we can't even initially see it and so having that context of where i've come from and then looking forward accepting where i am and setting my goals and my future path based on where i am instead of on where i wish I were. And, you know, maybe I wish that I, I were perfect and, and didn't have these weaknesses and these flaws and these constraints on my life. But, uh, you know, planning a, a, a way forward from this spot way over that, that I, I wish I were at, that's, that's not going to serve any purpose or be of any value to me. Yeah. I'm curious, going back just a little bit, where you said at the beginning of your career, and I can relate to this very deeply, um, that you're very competitive. You went into Barkley. It wasn't always healthy. And now, you know, you have this back and forth with Damien. Also, he's going to be on the podcast. So like, I don't know if we need to set up an episode after, you know, we keep getting better. Um, so I'm curious if there was a shift or where that shift was from this sometimes competitiveness that can be a, quite a negative on our lives to using it to both to better the community, to better yourself, to better your competitor. Where did that happen? Can you kind of pinpoint a time or is it an evolution? Like where was that and how did you come to the point you're at right now? It was a, a bit of an evolution, and I think the evolution was more uh, of it going from words, things that I, I knew, to really truly internalizing that uh, in the way that I respond to these things, both with with my actions going forward and, and with my emotions, you know, going back as far as high school cross country, we always said that, you know, every single person on the team counts because, you know, the, the slowest runner is pushing the next slowest who's pitching, pushing the next slow all the way up to the fastest person on the team. And, and that was, the, those were great things to say, but you know, if, if I got beat, I, I was mad. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like it one bit. And so it, it really uh, it was an evolution, uh, again, of, of going from this thing that I knew I should feel to something that I, I actually did feel. And a lot of these big efforts in, that I did in the UK, uh, where I switched from prior to that doing mostly unsupported, self-supported things to... Uh, like the grand round and the Penine way and, and my uh, five and a half day Wainwrights uh, that I did just before I, I left. These, these were all supported by just massive support crews, people on the roads, people out on the hills with me. And it was just entirely a team effort. 
and a collective thing to be able to get to that point with, with not only having the previous times as benchmarks to shoot for, but having the, the routes laid out and being able to optimize that, having plans on when and where to sleep, who could specialize in navigating each section. Like it was, it was entirely a team effort. And, and to feel such a part of that uh, really then extended to the competition and these other, you know, actual races and, and other things that I do and recognizing the fact that really all of these are collective efforts to uh, grow and learn and, and push ourselves as, as far as we can. While in the midst of this, just, you know, enjoying the, the opportunity to, to get out in the mountains and, and see some beautiful places. Yeah, I, that's, that's all great. I love all these sediments. One of the things that I think that our audience will really appreciate, John, is hearing this come coming from you as, of all people saying that, you know, your goal was to try to qualify for Bar for Boston, sorry. And then, you know, I don't know, how many years ago was that? Uh, so I, I started in 2013. I, I failed twice and then I, I qualified for Boston. not that long ago. Yeah, in 2014. Yeah, that's that's my point, right? Like that's there's a lot of people listening to this who can imagine 10 years, myself included. And you know, you got to really, you know, think okay, what you know, all too often I think people think, "Oh, I want to run Barclays." <laughs> when what they really need to do is qualify for Boston first for example, like I think that, you know, and then see how that goes or whatever the, the goal is that's appropriate for them. And there are people, one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of the successful people that I've come to know in my life is that they have this knack for setting goals that are both challenging and attainable. Uh, and then they just kind of recal continuously recalibrate. And this is one of the things I've, I've heard from from you today that I think is is so valuable to our audience is understanding that everybody does that, even the even the people that are at the the best top of the sport. Yeah, it's uh, I might have a big kind of eventual one day goal, but recognize that it's it's something that I there's there's absolutely no chance right now and it's a matter of choosing intermediate goals that uh, I feel just might be possible like again I might fail but they're going to force me to reach as po as far as I currently possibly can and if I can reach that far then I can pull myself up onto a, a, a new step and from there you know aim for the next one and eventually, maybe I'll get up to that, that big goal. And this in general goes towards this, this process of even during an individual event, decomposing it into manageable chunks where chunks where we can actually have a plan that our minds can actually comprehend without getting overwhelmed. Whereas, you know, like doing, doing Barkley or, or any of these ultras really, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to make it up this next climb in this amount of time and, and then the next one and then to that checkpoint. And I'm never lining up at the starting line and thinking, okay, I have 60 hours to make it this far. Like it's just, it's overwhelming. Your, your mind can't 
pull in all of that, everything that it takes all at once. So it's, it's all in steps and chunks that you can make a, a realistic plan for. Yeah, that's such a great point. It's, it's something I've changed a lot of my mindset, especially with ultra running. And to go back to the longer term plan, it's why I'm not running Tour de Jean this year is because I don't feel I want, I need like a year to two years of growth before I can do Tour de Jean the way that I want to do it. And so I looked at it last year and was like, I don't feel ready for this step yet. I want to go back and do it the way that I know I can do it. And I know that I need more growth before that can happen. Um, so I totally, yeah, that makes complete sense. So I guess to tie it in or go ahead. I, I was just going to say it was last year, very similar for me. Uh, you know, I, with my uh, personality after that big failure in 2021, I, of course I wanted to turn right back around and take it on again in 2022. But I got into hard rock, uh, and and that was the also the the time that my family and I were moving back from the UK to the US, and so there was just there was way too much going on uh, to to be able to uh, give my best effort and have of uh, the performance that I want to have at Tour de Gion last year. So I, I had to set that aside, and, and part of that. Uh, you know, came from the much more unbiased uh, perspective of, of my coach telling me that that was probably a, a bit much. But uh, yeah, so he, here we are. Uh, had to wait a year, but I'll, I'll be back. That's awesome. Well, I'm curious now, having had this conversation and moving towards the end of it, what made you want to go back to Barkley and how do you feel your first performance and I hate to compare but do you feel more satisfied with your second um finish than the first and like where have you analyzed hey I could have done this better maybe that could be better and also why did you want to go back for a second time after I I first finished uh, I, I took a year off. I, I crewed for the race, experienced it from a different side. And then I, I wanted to, it was again, mainly a curiosity. Like what would the race be like if I've already finished? How would that affect my mindset, uh, my ability to, to push through some of these low points? And so I went back in 2019 and, and the answer yeah, it, I was going to say, caveat, good. you have gone back multiple times. I yeah, shouldn't say like uh, your second time, but yeah. Well, I, I, in 2019, I was in the lead after two loops, and I was I was cursed with the knowledge of what the later loops would bring and what they would require, and, and I just I quit. Uh, I didn't have that mindset. And, uh, it, you know, after analyzing that and reflecting on it. I didn't want Barkley to end that way. And, and gradually over time, again, I, I developed this, this good equilibrium where I had the motivation and the fire to, to finish, but without it consuming my life. Uh, I went back last year and unfortunately I had a mishap where I, I lost the waist belt that I was carrying my pages in and so it ran out of time. Uh, but eventually circling back to this year where, where again, I, I had that healthy mindset and my goal, whereas in that first and in, in that 2019 attempt, my, my goal was 
to find out what it would be like to run the race as a previous finisher. In 2019, I, I found out. And then my goal going back this year was to see, okay, now I know what it's like. Can I still adapt my strategy? Can I still adapt my mindset to be able to finish knowing what I now know? And to be able to essentially just will myself forward uh, for, for no other reason than I'm telling myself to, to not have this big, shiny, alluring goal of becoming a finisher that is, is helping drive me forward. You know, everyone at Barkley, to, to get to finish the race, everyone is almost entirely intrinsically motivated. But th- this time I had to be 100%. 100% I'm doing this because it is something that I'm willing myself forward to do. And that was that was a huge confidence boost, just knowing that I have I now have that level of control over my own mind to be able to do that. And, and again, that is something that I'm, I'm going to hit challenging points in my career and in <laughs> raising my kids through their teenage years, I'm sure. And just think, you know, OK, like I've I've done this. I've been in this spot. I know how to uh, will myself forward and it's it's going to be fine. We'll We'll come out from this. I think that this, I, this, uh, what I, as I listen to you talk about, you know, this confidence that you have the, the will to, to do this. And how do you see that? How do you experience that for yourself? Is that, is that like kind of always in there and you think it's locked away and it's in there for all time? Is it a, is it a, is it a more fluid property? Do you have, do you, do you have, do you have a, how do you think about that? How do you think about that motivation or that will will to move yourself forward, as you put it, will to take on these challenges on on any level, whether it's parenting or professional, or you know, you're touching on all these. There's a bit of that that I, I think is innate uh, in me, but getting to to what I'm doing now, things like a second Barkley finish, there have definitely been things that I've learned and. The experiences themselves in terms of building this sort of mental reservoir of things that I can recall, of past low points that I've hit and been able to pop out of those, um, of past points where I've thought, oh, this isn't possible. I I can't do this. And and then I I still managed to, to make it through. Like those things gradually build that that mental fortitude build that confidence and and uh grow the number of things that that you can tell yourself when you know one part of your mind is saying uh no quit you can't do it it's not worth it and and you're able to re- bring up a memory of uh, oh yeah you remember the last time you told me this and and we still made it through so so no i'm i'm fine and I've also learned to to focus a lot on what has has gone into it, and relatively speaking, how little is left. Like when when you show up at the start line of a race, you you're 
almost at the finish line, really. When you think of all the effort that's gone into preparing all of the training, uh, the, the things that both you and your supporters have put into this. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there on a, a 60 hour event and hit a low point a, a day and a half into it and think to myself, not, geez, there's 24 hours left. How can I possibly make it 24 hours? But instead frame that as I've really been at this for months, like if not longer. What is another 24 hours? That's that's nothing. That's like just just finish it. Step across the line and uh, it's done. And all of that pays off. And you never get yeah, that. I love the way you think about that. You never get that 24 hours back. You'll never get to experience that moment in that race like that ever again. And so I did this after a 350 mile FKT attempt. I had about six miles and I was not moving fast. So I had about two hours and I went, I was with a great friend. I told him if I ever made it this far that he had to run the last six miles with me. And I just went, embrace this, love this part because this is so special. Don't wish it away just to be finished. Embrace and be in this moment because you don't get to do this again. It will never be like this. Hmm. Yeah, Hmm. Yeah. absolutely. And that's, you know, it's, it's very, very hard to have the f- mental focus and clarity to think of this in the moment, but always kind of thinking of if I quit, quit you know, I'm not a death before DNF guy by, by any means. We, we spent the first part of this talking about my bout with Rabdo and how happy I was that I quit in those circumstances, but, but trying to really process things and think of, you know, if I quit now, what will me in one week think about that decision? Am I, am I going to be happy with that? Or am I going to seriously regret that? And it's, it's, again, it's, it's very difficult to, to do that. Uh, but that's, that's something that I, I always try to do when I'm at low points. And, and that's, again, something where having had those prior experiences and I can remember, Hey, you remember that other time you quit and how, how mad you were with, with yourself after that, you don't want to do that again. Yeah. If I may uh, share a way I've come to think about this and have being the, the, the oldest of the group here, I think that this, I originally constructed this around alpinism, but I think it's very much the same for these events that you both do. And it's when you, let's say, you know, it doesn't have to be the start line, but in the beginning before the big challenge, you're sort of like, let's say the start line, you're at the start line and you kind of put yourself under this like spell. It's like you have this magical thinking, right? Like you don't really fully understand what all it's going to take out of you or how low those low points are going to be or how painful it's going to be, or you're going to get altitude illness or not, or have GI issues or not, or whatever the, challenges may be right so the magical thinking is that none of that is going to happen right you're going to run your perfect race or have your perfect event you always start that way and then when the challenge happens like i think of it as like a graph uh and you're you know you start up here in the middle and then it, it drops down and you're at the bottom and when you're at the bottom and it's it's really the worst 
that's the point at which you either quit or you don't quit, right? And if you, here's the interesting thing though, if you quit, okay, you DNF, like you talked about, and then you have this, or in climbing, you descend or bail or whatever. When it comes time to do that again, you don't start at the bottom again. Like the next race, you don't line up and you're not at the bottom. You're back in the magical thinking place. Okay. And, and, it, and it resets every time. And I think that's so wonderful about humans that we can do that. You know, we can, we could, we're so resilient in that way. And this can truly be expressed in other parts of our lives, which is a, a theme that you've brought up a number of times, John, which I really appreciate. And I really hope that other people share. I've certainly leaned a lot of my experiences in the mountains in other parts of my life. That's for sure. The other part of it is if you're at that bottom and you don't quit, you know, what there's, tell me, I'd love to hear a story about a time when you were at that bottom and you didn't quit because that's its own experience. And typically in my, what I see and what I hear from these stories is when you, when you don't quit, it's as soon as you realize it's at the bottom and you're not going to quit, it gets better. And it, whether that's that mental trick of like forecasting, you know, your future self from a week from now, what you're going to think of having, you know, exited the race or whatever the, whatever the, whatever other magic trick you pull out to kind of justify that at the time. Or if you don't like that's, then, then you're, then, then it's over. Like you're, that's the worst part. Like, and you're, and you've moved past it. And this is so true of like almost every kind of challenge I find, not just these physical ones, but entrepreneurial ones, professional ones, relationships, all these things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, uh, you know, to me, it's all of these things are almost like a, a game of chess and, and you start each game with the board and exactly the same position at that, that, that nice high point where everything's perfect. And, and for me, I, I have my plan, which is what I am going to do, the things I can control, the things that I want to do. And, and then I, I have my, my preparations, which is envisioning all of the different scenarios that I can find myself in and what do I do in those scenarios. And once I have those preparations, I, I stop worrying about the scenarios because I can't control whether or not they happen. But once I'm there, I, I, I instinctively know what to do. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry. Uh, one of those preparations for those low points, you, you asked for a, sp a specific example. I mean, the, the, the one at, at Hard Rock last year is, is probably the, the best and the, the most poignant where I, you know, was was moving pretty well and uh, was uh, top five for the, the first half of the race and then started to struggle, went over the, the highest peak and just yeah, every few steps just, you know, doubled over and hurling and, and retching and made my way down to the aid station and just... I, I couldn't even put water to my lips without, uh, you know, just out of control vomiting uh, or, you know, dry heaving at the least. And, and it was it was bad. Uh, and I had to recognize, uh, again, that, that I've, I've been there before. 
another example is Barkley this year. I started to struggle on just the second loop on that night loop. I, I just, it was cold. My, my stomach got out of whack. I wasn't getting calories down. I wasn't moving fast. And I, I basically just latched on to the, the people I was with and, and hung on and knowing, knowing that if I could just do that, if I could just get to the other side, I, I would, would be okay. And so a big part of that is, is not just, um, not just recalling those those prior experiences, but but again, accepting where I am, not to not try to move forward based on where I, I wish uh, I were at. It, you know, I could be sitting there at the Burroughs Aid Station at Hard Rock, thinking, well, I, I wish I was still in top five, and uh, you know, with with 24 hours within reach and. What, what good would that do me? Like that's, that wasn't realistic at that point. And so I'm, I'm adjusting my goals. I'm adjusting my strategy on the fly where I, I try to keep it moment to moment, something that is again, just out of my reach, something that is going to keep me motivated to go forward that I see as possible, that I can convince myself is possible. And so as I'm sitting there at the head station, puking and resting and generally unable to move with a splitting headache and everything else that comes along with it, my, my goals are, are gradually dropping. You know, well, may, I, I can hold on to top 10. That'll get me going again. And then, well, uh, you know, 30 hours, that, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a great goal. That's, uh, you know, not many people make it under that at Hard Rock. And eventually, I... You know, I'm dozing in and off. I don't know how many people have even passed me at this point. And I think, well, I can probably still get get top 25. And uh, that's, uh, you know, I, I dropped to that point. And eventually my, my friend Stephanie Case came through. And, and we, we have had a bit of a running joke that I had the, the curse of Case. That any time we were at the same race, I, I, I didn't have a stellar result. <laughs> many of them I, I DNF'd. And... So she came through and said, no, no, not again. And, uh, you know, that got me going again. And I uh, didn't want to, uh, didn't want her uh, to, to also uh, <laughs> carry that, that joke on. So I got up and started moving with her. And uh, eventually my, my goals started creeping back up again to just, just a carrot on a stick. Really, that's, that's what it is. And I, started to move. I, I started to be able to get fluids and a bit of, uh, and some calories down and, and progressively got to the point where I, uh, I, I, I made the last, well, second to last real big climb and uh, started to pick it up and started to legitimately run. And then I started to see people in front of me and started to think, okay, well, I, I can, I can catch up to that person. I can pick that person up. And again, just progressive motivation. And eventually, my goals crept all the way back up to, I can get back in the top ten. Let's let's do this. Let's go. And and I, I made it back uh, into that position. I think I had dropped to around twenty fifth in, in my time at, at the aid station. And coming away from that, you, you know, again, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled with that. And it's that then goes. These things build on top of each other. That goes right into my reservoir, right into my set of memories that, that I recall when, when I hit those points again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great story of of that, and I think that you know one of the things that I I hear you saying that is so relatable. I'm sure for so many of our listeners and for for myself as well is you know you are staying planted and present in the for lack of a better word, I want to say suffering, but really let's just call it experience because suffering has a bit of a negative connotation. And I think that's what you were saying, Elisa, with those last six miles, you know, this is what you signed up for. We used to make jokes about that in alpinism when we were like really suffering. It was like, you know, <laughs> kind of like, Hey, this is, this is the part you came for. This is what you showed up for. This is the part you really like, because this is, this is what it's actually all about is getting into that state and, and getting to know yourself. Right. And getting to know your, you know, and, you know, and climbing, climbing partners, but you know, your ultra running has its own community, like your rapport with Stephanie and that story is amazing. And it, this is, this is uh, not just something for her, you to hold on to actually, it's also, I'm sure she's going to carry that into the future of the rest of her life, whatever experiences she may have, like that time that she came into that station and John was like, you know, laid out and then pulled it back together and got up. And she will also, that became part of her story too. So I think that, you know, this, this, uh, all of this for me just speaks volumes about how beautiful these, you know, experiences are that, that we all, you know, seek out in the mountains whether it's running or climbing or skiing or whatever and these these are the issues i, I love how this interview has unfolded how this discussion has unfolded <laughs> because like this is my happy place where i get to talk about like the, the what we learn and what we feel and what we experience and how we share it and, and those things because and the reason that's my happy place is because that's the part that's human and that's the part that's that everyone experiences no matter whether they're top 10 or bottom 10, right? Like they're having some version of this uh, experience for themselves. And, uh, you know, everybody's got is you, what, what did you call your engineering pro problems? Constrained? Yeah. Constrained optimization. Constrained optimization. I love that term. Okay. I'm going to remember that because uh, everything is a constrained optimization problem literally yeah. everything yeah like you know that's we it's staying planted in reality like business uh you know running climbing mountains like you know there's there's only so you can only you can only produce so much you know power at twenty six thousand feet as a in a human body or at thirteen thousand feet and or even at, at 16 feet and so you know we're there that's an optimization constrained optimization problem too so it's it's great uh it's a great viewpoint on all of this i really think that there's a lot of great lessons in this i i i do have to to quickly in case stephanie does listen have have to apologize to her again i don't know if she'll remember it as as quite as positive and an experience she, she she came into the aid station also not feeling well and uh, I, I saw her stagger in and just uh, kind of instinctively said, oh, yeah, me too, and, and held up my, my barf bag that I'd, I'd been clutching for four hours. I, I don't think that helped her, her situation. But she, she got out of there and, and had a, a good finish as well. 
And I, I like what you said. I, I don't think that's, it's not something I've, I've fully framed it as myself before, but I'll, I'll definitely remember now is, is thinking that, you know, again, that this is what you came for. Like the, the goal is to reach this point because that is where the growth and the learning truly happens. And so if, if I don't embrace and push through this experience, then, you know, it, it, it wasn't worth it. Like I, I did all of this and uh, invested the time into preparing and into traveling to and doing this far in, in the race. And, and if I don't embrace this experience, then uh, it, it, it doesn't return that value to me. Yeah. I've always disliked the start of races. I, I like the, the meat, like the middle and the end of races, because I always feel like that's the, where I learned the most. That's where, that's what I came for is that part of it. Um, but John, thank you so much for this. We did not follow the script at all, which has been awesome. It's been such an incredible conversation and I want to respect your time because we're right up against the edge of it, but is there, um, a place people can find you? I know you have an amazing website, but I'd love to be able to connect people to um, the best platforms to see what you're up to. Right. And, it, you know, I, I mainly view the scripted questions as, as the backup in, in case things aren't going well with a, a nice fluid conversation. So I think we we did great there. And uh, as you mentioned, I, I've got a blog, uh, randomforestrunner.com, which is a that's a play on words be, between my data science career and my, my running career. Random Forest is an algorithm that, that I use uh, in my work. You answer my question. Enjoy, yeah, enjoy running through random forests. And I don't get to post uh, outside of rest reports. I, I don't get to post there as much as I used to and as much as I would like. Uh, hopefully at some point I'll, I'll get back to that. But there are also links to my social media there. I'm currently... Uh, running through a series of posts of, of giving some of these discrete lessons that I, I've learned from from doing hard things on there. Excellent. Great. We'll, we'll definitely send some people your way because you've got lots of great lessons to share. Thank you so much. I've uh, really enjoyed this. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, which I can't imagine you didn't, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Thank you, Elisa, and thank you, John, for bringing your, yourselves, your experience, being vulnerable with me, opening up, and sharing all this amazing wisdom. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's not just one, but a community. Together, we are Uphill Athlete.